everybody. Tony Marcolini, welcome to It May Interest You to Know. I'm joined today with my co-host, Seamus McDonough. And today we welcome a very special guest. Uh, he's a speaker, a writer, uh, an actor, uh, Sean Kanan. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Seamus. It's nice to be with you guys. Hey, Sean. Hi. So we wanted to start, I think we have so much to cover with you between the, the books that are out and the and the projects that you're involved with. I think mm -hmm. Seamus and I were talking about starting with some of your earlier projects and trying to work our way up if we could do that. Sure. I know you started with, uh, with on TV, I believe General Hospital was your first major TV role, am I correct? Yeah, it was my first major role. I had done some uh, guest star work, uh, uh, but that was my first, uh, you know, contract role that was on an ongoing um, basis. Uh, and I did that right after I, uh, right after I did Karate, well, shortly after I had done Karate Kid 3. I did a couple of the things and then um, on my way to General Hospital. Now, what, do you, what are you excited about, John? What do you love to do? What do I love to do? I love to travel. Uh, I love to, my wife is my partner in crime. We spend all our time together. Uh, whatever, you know, crazy adventure is next, she's right beside me. Um, I love working too. I really love what I do. You know, my, my wife is one of the executive producers and head writers of the show that I created, which is called Studio City on Amazon Prime. Uh, been a dream of mine for a very long time to create that we work on that together uh in my spare time i love to study uh foreign languages i've studied italian probably for 15 years i've been studying mandarin for the last two uh what else love dogs and i love to cook <laughs> i love to cook i love to get in the kitchen and mix it up what kind of dog do you have we so i never thought i'd be like a little dog guy uh, and we have a mini pug, and she is just, you know, she's our child. We take her everywhere. We're taking her to England with us this uh, later today. So, so uh, where are you going in England? Where are you going over there? So I'm appearing at the uh, Liverpool Comic Con. So I'm going to fly into London and rent a car and drive three and a half hours to Liverpool, stay for about 36 hours, and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Jet lag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, so you but did, it's going to be great. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you. so you did the Dancing with the Stars, the Italian version, I right? I did. I did Ballando con la Stella, right, uh, which was an incredible experience. Um, you know, for a guy that uh, has two left feet, I managed to last for uh, nine weeks. Uh, wow. Surprised me. <laughs> and, you know, it was... I have such an incredible respect for ballroom dancers because it is absolutely a sport. It was extremely physical. And, uh, you know, and when you're the man, you have to lead. So imagine not knowing how to dance and you've got this, well, in my case, my, my uh, partner was in the top 50 in the world for ballroom dancing and I had to lead. And then... They did this crazy thing where they brought in this woman, her name was Hannah Cartoonian, and she's the number one ballroom dancer at the time in all of Europe. And I had 30 minutes to teach her my choreography, and she was so good, she even managed to make me look good. Beautiful. <laughs> I used to be a professional dancer. Really? 
Well, it's kind of Tassels, poles. What are we talking about? Here? <laughs> yeah, pole, yeah. Uh, I went to St. John's University where I met Tony, and uh, apparently some some uh, basketball team down south had a uh, halftime show called the called the uh, Blues Brothers East. So some fraternity did it. So they wanted the same fraternity in the in the, in the in New York to do it. So they asked us to do it for the New York Knicks. So wow. we did a halftime show for the New York Knicks. Uh, called the Blues Brothers East. It's on, it's on YouTube, and uh, that was uh, yes, that was my professional dancing career. No pressure there. There must have been what about 30,000 people Amazing. and televised. And I, I well, I, I you probably don't know much. I used to be a boxer also, so I fought the Gordon like twenty times also. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Fact, that's yeah. great. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So you must you must love Tyson Fury. Tyson is. A, I was actually talking to a great friend of his yesterday. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so yeah. we've got we've got some we've got some things in, in the pipeline, as they say in Ireland. Very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, have I, you been to Ireland? I haven't been to Ireland, and I would very much like to go. Um, I have I have a little bit of Irish blood in me, uh, and um, you know I I love the travel, as I said, and the Emerald Isle looks just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, just finished reading a book. Uh, I was going to do a film where I played an MMA fighter. And so I got this book about uh, the guy that was Conor McGregor's trainer. And long story short, you know, it takes place in Ireland. And so I, you know, I found myself engrossed in this book and, and sort of tangentially learning a lot about Ireland uh, because that's where mm -hmm. these guys were raised. And it, it really became enamored with it. I thought, you know, this would be a phenomenal place to go visit. You would love it. You would love it. I got the right name for it, right? You sure do. They would love you over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk to us. And you, you were saying about different uh, guest appearances you had done. And I think I, the first time I ever saw you, believe it or not, was on The Nanny. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? You you back. <laughs> that was right. What, what was that like? Uh, that was a great experience. You know, Fran Drescher is not only a, a phenomenal talent, she's a wonderful person. She's extremely involved um, with uh, her charity, Cancer Schmancer. And I'll let me tell you a quick story. So I went, to, uh, I went to an event she was doing for Cancer Schmancer years after having done the nanny with her and you know, said hello, reconnected. And she said, listen, if you ever get an audition for my new show, which was called Happily Divorced, um, you know, let me know. As luck and serendipity would have it, like two or three days later, I got an audition for it. And I, I didn't have Fran's number, but I, through friends of a friend of a friend, I got to her and long story short, she basically, um, they had cast somebody and she got the network to switch from the person they had cast. Oh, it'd be the part. And, and when I got on set, the director was being like a complete dick to me. And I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> and then I realized what it was. It was that he had hired this other person and they had come down and said, no, 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 no. You, you have to hire this, this kid. And he wasn't happy about it. So he was really a jerk to me. But it, it's just a testament to who she is as a person that she was, she really, you know, kept her word when it wasn't easy to do so. So immense respect for her. And it was really fun. Well, it looked like it was a fun set to be on. That's why I wanted to to yeah. run that past you. 
Now you've since done, uh, you, you have a background in soaps, right? The Bold and the Beautiful, the, uh, I think you were on Young and the Restless as well. General Hospital, sure. General Hospital being the, now, now you're, you're in a new project that kind of incorporates all that, right? For Amazon? Studios. Right. Well, yeah, well, I'm actually I'm actually back on contract with uh, with the bold and the beautiful. So I'm back doing that, which is great, reprising my role of Deacon Sharp, which I also played on The Young and the Restless. But yeah, you're talking about Studio City, which is, you know, the the, the essence of Studio City follows my character Sam uh, Stevens, who plays Dr. Pierce Hartley on Hearts on Fire, which is the number two soap opera in the world, uh, fictionally, and um, you know. It's, it's a story about a guy that's an aging soap star. And at first, you look at this guy, and he's not necessarily particularly likable. Um, you know, you, you think he probably makes a lot of money and works with beautiful women, and he's on TV. And very quickly, you realize that he's, you know, he's like this flawed guy with a lot of issues that is just trying to figure it out like the rest of us. And it's set against the backdrop of um, him being on a soap opera also his life outside the soap opera, but it's not specifically a show for soap opera fans. Um, you know, it just happens to be that that's what his his job is. I mean, uh, it's been a dream of mine to get this show made. I've been trying for probably 15 years and through a, a number of fortunate events and the right variables falling in place, we were able to get it made. And in the first season, which was 11 episodes, uh, we got I think 20 Emmy nominations and wow. uh, we won uh, we won four including last year we won for uh, Outstanding uh, uh, Fiction which was the big one and it, it just you know it was surreal it was it was unbelievable and you get to work with your wife as you were saying on it so that's I, I get to work with my bonus. wife which is, which is fantastic we've got our little Emmy statues side by side I was I was nominated for I was nominated for lead actor so I was really hoping that I was going to win so I could have two of them in front of hers but you know just to keep me humble the universe was like no you guys can each have one and I think that's probably for the best mm, wonderful yeah well you started writing books too now I have well I, my, my third one just came out yeah right and yeah I think you started, was was the first one you wrote Stress Factor X? Was that, or was that <laughs> no. the second one? No? It's called Success Factor X. Not Success. Stress Factor. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I stayed corrected. I love, I love it. No, the first one was called uh, The Modern Gentleman Cooking and Entertaining with Sean Kanan. And then the second one was called Success Factor X. And then my third one, which just came out and is doing gangbusters, is called Way of the Cobra. And it yes. is... Uh, you know, it's a it's 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 a motivational self help book. Uh, it's it's set up with the structure that I'm the sensei, you're a student in my dojo, and the tagline for the book is "Unleash Your Inner Badass." And you know, these are kind of the battle tested <clears throat> strategies that I've used in my life to achieve some of what I've achieved. Mm. And you know, I I know this stuff works because you know, a couple of years ago, I found myself in a really I don't know, kind of a strange place. I mean, I'd had some pretty significant success in my life. I'd had some, you know, some epic failures, some of which were fairly well publicized. And, uh, you know, I was looking in the mirror at 50 years old saying, okay, what's next? What's, what's chapter two here? And I was 35 pounds overweight. I had no prospects for work. Um, I, you know, I just, just a lot of stuff that I was struggling with. And I decided, okay, uh, 
I am going to kind of take the bull by the horns here. And rather than wait for my ship to come in, I'm going to build the damn ship. I just had to figure mm. out how to do it. And I started doing some things very differently and very quickly. I started getting some extraordinary results. Um, and, you know, I tell people, I said, before you think that I'm living on top of a mountain uh, in Kathmandu, levitating, contemplating uh, my navel in, in like the lotus position, <laughs> I said, I am one of the great hardheads of the world. I have made every mistake in my book a dozen times mm -hmm. over. And, you know, I look, at, I look at my job in this book as kind of being like a Sherpa, you know, to help people up to the top of the mountain, not, not, to, not to carry them up, but to point out, the, you know, a, a path that may be the path of lesser resistance and, and point out mm -hmm. some of the, you know, the well-worn pitfalls that... Um, you know, hopefully I can help people avoid through some of the experience that I've had in my life. And I literally get emails every single day from all corners of the world of people telling me what a dramatic effect this has had on their life. And, you know, I'll close with this. You know, I, I do podcasts and things like that because I'm promoting a book. Sure. And I want to sell books and that's true. But the reality is that with Every fiber of my being, I know that the, the information in this book is transformational, and I want to get it into as many people's hands as possible, because I, I know that it's got the ability to help people uh, really live their absolute best life. Sean, what is how the commendable? How commendable? Yes, Thank you. How commendable. I, I, I'm actually also, I'm, I'm also 25 years sober. Uh, Excellent. And, uh, yeah, and, and my life is actually helping people. That's had the same. That's same, amazing, life. man. And, yeah. and you know that's yeah. you know that's a that's a beast, man. Sobriety is a real beast, and and mm -hmm. I have immense respect for you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of the things that I did. I mean, it wasn't a conscious decision to get sober, but I mm -hmm. just decided for some clarity purposes that I was going to be really judicious with, you know drinking you know everything from you know who i spend time with just everything and mm. and i did very clear on it and um you know now it's been a you know a, a chunk of time since i've uh, imbibed it all and i don't necessarily know that i'm done forever but it just feels better not doing it in my level of productivity and more importantly than that my and you know this james is is the level of connection that you have with people is more authentic it's more centered and it's more um it's more reality based and that's been one of the greatest byproducts of this this journey that i've been been on well it's, it's so it's so evident uh the way you're talking and uh, and i have to say also that uh similar very similar thing happened to me lost everything and just yep. uh, uh I came back 25 years ago. Uh, someone showed me actually how to basically do the 12 steps every day, which uh, mm. changed my life. And and, uh, and wonderful. It was, there was no meaning in my life before that. I was just I was driven by my fears. I didn't even know it. Didn't even know Absolutely. it. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's it's funny. That's that's one of the chapters that I have in the book. Is that you know I, I say something to the effect of you know whatever you think is the obstacle that is stopping you from achieving the life that you want. I can tell you this, it's, it's not your mom and dad. It's not your overbearing wife. It's not your boss who doesn't understand you. It's you. And when you boil all of that down and distill it, it comes from fear. Okay. There's, you know, fear has a, a myriad of different faces, but at the end of the day, 
you know, whether it's fear of success, fear of connection, fear of intimacy, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's having to deal with that. And, and a lot of what I talk about is rather than shunning it, embracing it. And, you know, I think as a fighter, you probably understand this into a, a much lesser degree, but not necessarily so different as an actor. You know, if I allowed myself to constantly be ruled by fear when I walk into a room full of strangers who are going to judge whether or not I get my next job, uh, it would be incredibly difficult. Yet, before doing that frequently, you know, you have nerves. You've, you've got, which, which is, is a type of fear. And so I, I choose to sort of embrace it and, and not run from it. And, you know, for me as an actor, I use that for the character. I say, okay, what, what could the character be afraid of? How can I use this in my life? But I also think fear can be a tremendous motivator too. Yes. Now, now think about fear is that people think uh, the fear we're talking about is not uh, it's not in the moment. It's like, it's, it's not being afraid. It's like worrying about what happened or what might happen. Yes. So, yes. So what, what, what happened before comes up to a uh, to block and then block us from being more, uh, uh, inventive, creative right here, right now. So, yeah. so I was shown something to do, which was, I'll just share quickly. I wrote it is to write down your fears. I, I have fear. I won't get the job. I have fear. I'm not good enough. Write them down. They start to dissipate. Yes. And then I, I'm just left in reality. Yeah. Where I want to be. Yeah. I, I yeah. think if you're, you know, if, if you're anxious in your life, it's because of fear of the unknown and, and what's going to happen. And if you're depressed, you know, it's because you're fixating on the past. And, and you're, you know, you're spot on. If you're living in the present, you know, it really does alleviate a lot of the anxiety. I mean, we have very little control over what is going to happen. The only thing we have control over is how we react to various stimuli. And, uh, you know, as soon as you realize that you're not in control, life actually becomes a lot easier. And for anybody who thinks that they are in control, all you have to do is walk outside and look at the sun, which is a dying star and is someday going to consume our earth and swallow <laughs> it up and go supernova. And let me, let me assure you, you are not in control. Mm, exactly. Wow. <laughs> so what Beautiful. Is the, what does the creative process look like for you when you sit down to write? I mean, do you, do you go for a jog first? Do you... You know, do you meditate? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I kind of get flashes of inspiration and it might start with me, you know, jotting down um, a couple words or a couple sentences uh, uh, either on paper or, uh, you know, in my, uh, in my iPhone. And then I'll sit back and I'll expand on it. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I lack that kind of monastic sensibility that a lot of writers have where they're, they're like, I will wake up every single day and I'll write for four hours no matter what. My life is too busy to do that. I mean, you know, between all of the things I do, I write when the inspiration strikes me and then I'll write as long as I need to, to get it done. Now, I think Seamus and I were talking a lot about uh, Karate Kid before we started. Okay. Uh, what was that like? That was an, an epic, you know, a movie to be in. That was, uh, it was, it still, it still remains as one of the seminal experiences of my life. It changed the trajectory of my career and my life. Um, 
you know, I, I've, I've told this story many times. So, so for those people who, who've heard it before, forgive me. But, you know, I, I, was, I was a kid from a small town in Western Pennsylvania. I had been a paying customer for the Karate Kid and the Karate Kid 2. And then uh, I went to an open call uh, for the role of Mike Barnes, which was described as a 17-year-old white Mike Tyson, which I had never thought of myself as. <laughs> and uh, I was picked out of 2,000 people by John Avelson, who had won the Academy Award for Rocky, who had directed the first two Karate Kids, and ultimately wound up getting the role. And, uh, you know, it was, it was huge. It was huge. It was crazy. I mean, you know, I grew up watching Pat Morita on Happy Days as uh, Arnold. I mean, you know, that was like my go-to when I came home from lunch. I, 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 you know, I'd have my little uh, hot dog wrapped up in a crescent roll watching Happy Days. And now suddenly I'm on the back lot, uh, you know, filming with him. Um, there's also a story, again, which I've told many times and I, I recount in the book about how I had a life-threatening injury and was told that I could die while I was filming it. Uh, Christmas Day, 1989, passed out in Las Vegas from blood loss from a stunt that I did, which had nothing to do with karate, and uh, very nearly was cut from the film and had to battle my way back into the film. And so for that reason, um, the film is very special to me. I mean, it's special to me because of what it has done for me as an actor and, you know, being a part of this... Um, you know, like the, you know, the Karate Kid and Rocky and things like that are part of the, the, the cinematic tapestry of our country. And to be a part of that, something that has got such a huge international um, fan base of devotees is, is really humbling and wonderful. And now, you know, with the, the uh, utter success of Cobra Kai on Netflix, you know, this role that I did 30 some years ago still has relevance and interest from fans, which is just an incredible blessing. Mm. Well, with your career, if I, if I asked you what was your most memorable moment uh, in any of your professional, not talking personal, but in your professional career uh, or life, could you narrow it down to one moment that's like forever? Did, wait, wait, you, you just wait. You just you just threw a curveball at me. You had you had <laughs> career, and then you slipped life in there. So you, you got to choose one or the other. <laughs> All right. In, in your in your career, is is there in a most career. is there a most memorable moment that burrowed into the center of your brain and is forever I'd, I'd, there? I'd have to give you a couple. Okay. Okay. Um, obviously, obviously, finding out that I got in the role in the Karate Kid Three was monstrous. Um, and what did that look like? I mean, what did that phone call look like? I mean, did you run around so, dancing or? No, no. So, so I had done really well at the screen test and thought I was going to get the role. And I found out the crushing truth that I didn't get it. And they hired somebody else and they worked him for about a week and he didn't work out. And so they called me to come back to the studio. And in a very short amount of time, they said that I got the role, but they, you know, normally you get a role and you, there's a period of time before you start the project. They sent me right to wardrobe. They sent me right to go meet the fight choreographer. I mean, it was like, I didn't have time to call my parents and tell them for probably, you know, seven or eight hours. And, and so, um, no, I didn't get a chance to like jump around and everything because I was suddenly now part of the cast. Um, another amazing moment was uh, when I, when I got on the set for Studio City, because I know the Herculean um, 
effort that it has taken, not just from me, but from those people who've helped me do this to get that made. And I just was, I was in awe. I was like, wow, we really did it. And then to get it done and have it be well received and to have it be, you know, lauded with awards is like icing on the cake. Um, when we won the Emmy for, um, for Studio City, I, I was teaching a martial arts seminar in my hometown. And I knew that the Emmys were on the same time that the seminar started. And so I specifically left my phone in the car. It was because I knew I was either going to be really happy or really, you know, I was going to be sad. And, I, and these people didn't pay to see that. They paid to do this thing with me. And so as the, um, as the seminar concluded, my dad walked into the, uh, uh, the area where I was uh, conducting the seminar. And he just had this kind of blank look in his face. And he walked up to me and he said, he said, you won. And I, I, I got really quiet and I walked into a corner and I just sort of had to digest it. And you got to understand something. I've been involved in daytime television since 1992. I've never won an Emmy. And, mm. you know, I had kind of, I don't know, I basically, you know, we tend to disdain things that we don't get in life. And I was kind of like, well, screw it. You know what? Who cares? It's not for me. It's not in the cards, whatever. And to mm. have won the big one for the biggest show, it was humbling. And I, um, uh, yeah, I got really choked up. So that was definitely, um, that was definitely a, a big moment. Um, I, I would also, don't, did I lose you there? No, I'm here. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, and then I also um, had produced a film uh, years ago that I wrote called Chasing Holden which was about a young boy that runs away from boarding school to find J.D. Salinger. And again, when we were finally up in Canada on set about to film that, that was another one where it was really the first time that I'd ever seen actors uh, about to film the words that I'd written. And, and that mm. was pretty special. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, you've had such an illustrious career. I mean, I think you've experienced things that most people would be thrilled to just have experienced one. Right. But to have been a movie star, a television star, a successful writer, I mean, you're you're hitting a lot of bells. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, I listen to me, you know, a movie star is Brad Pitt. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be a working actor, but, you know, it's feast or famine. I have definitely had my extremely dry periods. And, you know, the one thing that's kind of gotten me through those is as an actor, you have to be able to find your moments of happiness other than when you're acting and on the set. Because if you're, if you're deriving your validation solely from somebody else hiring you to do a job, you're going to be extremely unhappy for a great amount of your time. Because the majority of most actors' lives is spent uh, in the pursuit of work rather than in actually, in actually working. Is this what you wanted to be? Like when you were young, did you always want to be an actor? Or? Yeah, I would say from about age age 13 or 14, that's what I wanted to do. Like in the school plays and everything? or You know, I wasn't really like a drama geek. Um, I, as I've gotten older, I, I love theater and it's it's actually my, my favorite thing to do. Um, I had done some plays, but my degree is actually in political science. Um, mm. and I had, I, you know, my parents were very supportive of me, but they said, look, you know, you tell your parents that you're going to go out to Hollywood to be an actor. It's like, I'm going to go run away to be Jojo, the, the monkey boy in the circus. I mean, it's like absurd, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the chances of it becoming uh, a reality 
are, are very mm. small. And so they said, look, whatever you do, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta have something to fall back on. And so, um, uh, I, I figured, okay, I'll, I'll choose political science. I can go to law school or do something like that. But what's strange is as much as I wish sometimes that I had been fortunate enough to go to say, you know, Juilliard or Carnegie Mellon to, to get a, um, uh, you know, like a degree in theater, it's strange how my degree in political science has helped me uh, in my acting career. It just sort of has given me a different perspective of how to look at things. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that people always say to me, you know, what advice do you give people that want to pursue a career in acting? And one of them is to experience as many different things as you can. That's why mm. one of the reasons I study foreign languages, travel, because you never know what you're going to play. Mm. And, uh, you know, education and reading is one of the greatest ways that we can do that. You know, I talk about in the book that reading is one of the great equalizers because it doesn't matter whether from where you come socioeconomically or even if you're incarcerated, everybody has the ability to study the words of great men and women and travel to places beyond their vista. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of you know, reading and, and learning as much as you can and, and always remaining a student. I agree. Actually, I was a political science major myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> Excellent. So we're bonded. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what, now, tell me about The Bold and the Beautiful. You said you're back on. I'm uh, back on. Uh, I started in, uh, started in 2000. Uh, I'm reprising my role of Deacon Sharp, which is... Uh, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's still to date, this ranks as one of the best work experiences I've ever had. I love being on the show. Uh, the show is in the Guinness World Book of Records as the most syndicated show in history. Uh, it's, uh, it's currently seen in probably at least 40 countries, but at one point, I think it was like 100. And um, it has opened up tremendous opportunities for me. And uh, I love what I do. You know, I, I get to go do other stuff. Uh, you know, I, I did two films this year uh, with Bruce Willis. Um, the first one is out right now uh, called Survive the Game. And the, the second one is coming out um, in theaters December 16th called The Fortress. My point is that I, I, you know, I have the wonderful opportunity to work on The Bold, The Beautiful, and yet still go out and do some other things. So it, it's, it's sort of the best of all worlds. And you have any spoilers coming up the pike for your character you know i uh, they're really very uh tight-lipped a lot of times i don't know what's happening until i get the next script so no i, I do think for those people to watch the show there probably is going to be uh some sort of a escalation in the relationship between my character and brooke who of course share a daughter uh i i did have a uh i did have a daughter with my mother-in-law so in other words uh i was married to somebody had an affair with her mom and now we have a daughter so <laughs> in true soap opera uh huh, story yeah. yeah is that where you where are you most recognized from probably the post office um <laughs> uh, you know, you know I, it's like I, I, i'm really me too, lucky me too. <laughs> i'm really lucky that i've got kind of two big fan bases you know i've got the daytime fans and they're fantastic. And then I've got the whole karate kid universe fans. So mm. I'm kind of a toss up between those two. Mm. Well, if you ever need any boxing people in your movie or, or gyms, or I know everybody, LA, New York, all over the place. So. Now, are you guys in Arizona? 
I, you know, we're, I'm in San Francisco. Tony's in New York. Okay, okay, gotcha. Okay. Well, where, where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. Well, I will definitely keep that in mind. But, you know, it's been it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys. It feels like I just sort of sat down and had coffee with a couple of friends. So yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I am going to plug my book one last time and just say that if anyone would like to order it, uh, you can get it at wayofthecobra.com. And, um, you know, you can follow me on social, uh, Sean.Kanan on Instagram or Sean Kanan on Twitter. And I do my best to try and respond to uh, as many people as possible. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you, guys. Thank you both. And I hope we get a chance to do this again. Thank you. Yes. Please come okay. back again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.